I encourage you, if you have your Bible right here with you today, take it and open with me to the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians. The fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians. I don't know about you, but how many of you have been hammered by that yellow stuff all over the ground this week? Can I see your hand? Wow, it hit me like a freight train this week. And so I apologize in advance. I've been over-medicating myself all week trying to get well and better. But, you know, you can't take medicine after the fact to do what you should have done before the fact. I have learned that. And so uh, at least allergy medicine does not work that way. So, well, we've been in a new series. We started last week entitled Another Helper, Understanding the Holy Spirit. And uh, that is our desire as a church. I hope that's your desire living the Christian life, that you have a desire to understand who the Spirit is and the role that He plays in each of our lives. Jesus said this, we looked at it last week in John chapter 14, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Jesus said, you know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. And you know, as we've thought about that, it's, it's really been our key text as we've jumped into the series considering the role of the Spirit of God in each of our lives. Well, I'll tell you this, a number of years ago when I was a senior in high school, I had the great joy of uh, heading out to Australia of all places. One of my best friends uh, was a missionary kid in Australia, and we had the great joy of, uh, I did, spend an entire month with his family. It was kind of a senior trip and a missions trip all rolled into one, and so we saw all the sights of Brisbane, Australia. We got involved in a whole bunch of fun stuff, but we also had uh, some exciting ministry, and one of the things that we did in Australia that was slightly different from here in the United States is uh, when there was an upcoming thing in their church, you're not actually uh, it's against the law in Australia to knock on doors and to have that type of a dialogue. And so uh, what they do in Australia is they letterbox. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but everybody has a mailbox kind of attached on the very front part of their house. And what you're allowed to do, you're not allowed to go up to the door and have an interaction, but you're allowed to drop things in their mailbox. And so there was a number of flyers that we had drawn up for a vacation Bible school. And me and my friend Caleb uh, decided we'd go out letterboxing the neighborhood. And I'll never forget, it was a hot, hot summer day in Australia, man. It was hot. And we were out working the street, letterboxing and all these things. And I'll never forget, we came up to this one house in the very end of a cul-de-sac. And Caleb, now if many of you don't know Caleb, he's six foot two. He's really long, tall, and lanky. And at the time, you know, I was about five foot seven. I maybe gained an inch in college, I don't know. But I was about five foot seven. I was short and stubby, all right? And so we show up to this house, and Caleb, this is his. We were kind of alternating each and every house. And so I was just kind of hanging back a little bit in like the driveway. And he had walked up over the pathway, going up to the house. And all of a sudden, we heard the noise of like five dogs barking. Like, like they must have had a dozen dogs is what it sounded like. And as soon as he opened the thing on that mailbox, man, it broke loose. And so dogs are barking, everything's happened. And all of a sudden, we don't know what's happening. So, you know, he kind of drops it. We kind of start doing this number. And all of a sudden, bolting around the house is this ferocious dog. I mean, it's just going crazy. So him and I book it, man. And we're running down. We're tearing off down the road as about as fast as we can. Now, listen, he was ahead of me, but him being six foot two, tall and lanky, this little short Aaron Mansfield, I don't know how it happened, man, but like within like a few steps, I bolted past him. And we're both running away from this ferocious dog. It was a 
20-pound Pomeranian. I don't know if any of you have ever seen a Pomeranian, man. Those things are ferocious. And thankfully, we made it out. But that day, I discovered something about visiting and dogs. I tell this to Stephen all the time when we're out visiting and we see a dog. I say, here's the thing, buddy. I don't have to outrun that dog. All I have to do is outrun you. (laughs) And I did it once before, you know. But that day, I discovered something something inside me that I didn't know I had before. I didn't know I could run quite like I ran that day. And I don't know if I've run that fast ever since. But you know what? When you think about that, and I think about this power, that this, this energy, what it really was, was what? What was it? It was a fear, and that produced what? Adrenaline. That, that's what it was. But, but, but how many of you have ever found that to be true in your life? You've... Uh, had a situation, a series of something happened in life, and, and you, you experienced such fear that gave you an adrenaline to do something you never knew you had that in you before. Can I see your hand? How many of you experienced that? Well, this morning we're talking about what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. Filled with the Spirit of God. And when we think about the filling of the Spirit of God, in many ways it's similar to... Um, being filled with something else. Some of us in this room know what it means to be filled with fear. Others can experience what it means to be filled with joy, but the Bible tells us that for every follower of Christ, we can be filled with the Spirit. We're going to be asking the question this morning, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Maybe that's what you're doing and taking notes this morning on the back of the bulletin. I encourage you to do just that to take down notes, not just what I say, but as the Spirit of God impresses your heart with truth this morning, write down what, 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 what really is next for you. What do you need to know so that you can apply that to your life today? Well, stand with me this morning. Stand with me this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. It's this excessive, overflowing immorality. But instead, the Bible says, be filled, what? With the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, as we have opened your word this morning and as we are reading it before each other. And Lord, now as we take time to consider not just what it means, but now what does it mean for each of us? I pray that Lord, this morning, your spirit would be our great teacher. We learned last week that the spirit of God teaches us all things. And Lord, you are the one that reveals truth to us. And so we pray that Lord, as our Bibles are open, that, that we would open up our heart to receive the truth that you're giving And God, that we would take the next step in whatever that means for us today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 
All right, you'll be seated. If you're taking notes this morning, I got three points for you to simply to follow along with the message today in Ephesians chapter 5. They're all going to be a series of questions. The first question we're going to ask this morning is who? Who is filled with the Spirit of God? And if you were with us last week, and if you weren't, let me just say that that message is available. It's online. And uh, as you're jumping through this series with us, I think it'd be really beneficial to hear the very beginning of, of the foundation of where we were. And so you can go back and listen to that. But But this morning, we're asking the question, who has been filled with the Spirit of God? You realize that when a person comes to faith in Christ, at that moment of conversion, the Bible teaches us that the Spirit of God comes to dwell within our life. We refer to that as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It comes at conversion. It comes in the moment that we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. That is why Paul tells us in the book of Romans in chapter 8, he says, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And you see what Paul is saying is that if a person is born again, they have had a moment in their life where they are now a child and daughter of the king, The Spirit of God dwells in them. Notice the next verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, the Bible makes the point, for in one Spirit, we were, how many? All, say it with me, all, all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and how many? All were made to drink of how many spirits? One Spirit. So, I mean, simple question this morning, but answer, how many Holy Spirits are there? There's one. And the Bible makes the point to say there is one spirit and there is one body. There is one body, the body of Christ. And so when you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you're saved, the Bible teaches us that the Spirit of God comes to dwell within us. This is why in the book of Acts, they were able to say to those that were listening to the message that that they were to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and they will be saved. It's a promise. And I wonder how many of you have experienced that in your own life? Can I see your hand? How many of you have experienced that reality of being born again? And the Bible makes the point that notice it is so simple and it is so straightforward. The Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 10 that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's so straightforward. It's so simple. And the Bible is teaching us this reality that somehow other denominations or sections of Christianity have so distorted that the Spirit comes in doses because He is an energy or a force rather than a person. I gave you the statistic last week that uh, Barna Poll found out that in in the United States of self-described Christians, six out of ten believers, six out of ten professing Christians believe that the Holy Spirit of God is not a person. Yet that's contrary to what the Bible's teaching. The Bible teaches us that he is a person and that he is God. So Paul says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So when you came to know Christ at conversion, all of the spirit of God, the person, the third person of the Godhead, all the spirit of God came to dwell in you. That's why Paul could say earlier in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1, 
He says, when they heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and they believed in Jesus, the Bible makes the point that they were sealed, what? With the Holy Spirit, with the promised Spirit. Notice the next verse, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? You see what Paul is saying? He says that the moment of salvation, the guarantee of what took place in your life, the supernatural reality of what God did in your life is evidenced by the Spirit of God. How many of you ever bought a house before? Can I see your hand? How many ever bought a house? You remember when you're buying a house? I remember Jessica and I did this for the house that we purchased. And, and in that whole process of buying a home, one of the first things you're going to do is put down some earnest money, right? And that earnest money is kind of like a down deposit. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a way of saying, I don't have all of it right up front yet, but I will. And this is the guarantee that I'm going to buy the house. This is the guarantee that I'm following through on it. And if for whatever reason you were to have backed out of the deal at the last minute, what would have happened to that earnest money? You would have lost it because it was, it was a part of the deal. It was, it was a part of the proof of what was put down would be completed. And notice what the Bible makes the point is that when God gives us his spirit to dwell within us, that is, the, that is the down payment. That is the earnest of what God is going to do in our life. And many of us are in this moment in our life where God has saved us and the power of sin is now broken in our life, but we're looking forward to one day when we will be made new and there will be all of these things in our life and the, the presence of sin will be no more. And the Bible says, hey, what holds you and I on to that promise of that reality is thinking about what God did, what he guaranteed, and what he began in you, he will complete. And God says, hey, I am, I am, I am making this commitment to you. I am, I am showing you the guarantee because I am sealing you with myself, with the Spirit of God. He has not only saved us from something, but God is saving us for something. So at conversion, every believer, will you say that with me? Every believer, say it again, every believer has the Spirit of God. You say, wait a minute, why is that important? Why, why is it important that every Christian has the Spirit of God? Well, because the Spirit of God is not a force. He's not an agent. He's not just energy. He is a person. And I want you to think about that for just a second. I don't know if you came to church this morning anticipating to think, but I hope you're thinking right now, all right? Hope you're always thinking. But what does it mean? Think about just the reality for a second that God himself would come and dwell in you. Think about the profound reality that the Spirit of God dwells in us. If we believe that, better yet, if we live that, wouldn't it so radically change the way that you and I live our life? How much are we, how much in the church of God are people discouraged and defeated simply because they're not living in the power of the Spirit of God? How often in our life are we confronted with fear and anxiety simply because we're not aware of God's presence and His power in our life? And so when we think about it, what God is giving us is amazing. When we think about salvation, that, 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 that at the moment of conversion, that all of the Spirit of God was given to me. And, and you may be here this morning, you're like, well, well, I don't know if I feel that, you know? I mean, how many honesty in church this morning? How many of you just say, you know, I, I believe that? How many will hold your hand and say, I believe it? How many believe it? But how many of you would raise your hand and say, you know, some days I fail to experience it? Can I see your hand? 
Now, now why is that? Why is that? Because hear, hear me clearly. At salvation, at conversion, all of the Spirit of God is in me. But every day of our life, the Spirit of God doesn't always have all of us. Actually, if we're honest, there's probably many days in our life and many moments of our days where the Holy Spirit of God doesn't have all of me. But if He did, oh, what a difference that would make in our life. So notice this morning, who has the Spirit of God? Well, every believer. Say it with me, every believer. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, every believer. Yeah, make no mistake about it, it's every believer. Hey, and that's significant because sometimes we're looking at the life of an individual and we're saying they say that they're a Christian, but they're sure not acting like it. Maybe it's better indicating the fact that maybe they're not a Christian because the Spirit of God comes and lives in our life and when He does, He changes us. So if there's no change in our life, then there's a big question of whether or not the Spirit of God has even come into our life. So who has the Spirit of God? Every believer. But then secondly this morning, as you're taking notes, what does it mean? Not just who, but now what? What does it mean that that we are filled with the Spirit? I'm going to look at one verse this morning. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. Notice verse 18. You're open there with me. Look down in your Bible as we read this verse again. Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with what? Be filled with the Spirit. Now notice what is Paul saying about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. This is one simple phrase in, in Greek, and yet there is so much here that I think as English uh, students of the Bible, we have a hard time seeing in this one verse, but it's more clear in the original language. How many of you know that the Bible was not uh, originally given in the English language? You know that? Do you know that what you're holding in your hands this morning is a, is a copy, is a translation? You see, the New Testament was originally written in what language? In what? In Greek. Whew. I remember Greek in school. I had a four, six semesters of Greek in college. I had four in undergrad and two in seminary. And by the time I was done, I said, Lord, thank you that I know English. But you know what? You learn some things in the original language, and you learn that languages aren't all the same. Do you know that? How many of you know a different language? Can I see your hand? How many of you know a different language? How many of you know that all things don't really translate from one language to the next? You know what I'm saying? Ever tried to put something in Google Translate and spit it out on the other end and then reverse it? It doesn't always come back the right way. That's because in language, there's different tenses, and there's different moods, and there's different... um, I'm not going to bore us this morning with all the grammar... But I want you to understand there's some significant grammar happening in this verse. Maybe I can explain it in four simple points. What is the filling of the Spirit? First, the filling of the Spirit is commanded. It's commanded. If you want the Greek word, it's in an imperative mood. In the original language, it's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's not like God comes to us and says, you know what, you might find in your spiritual life, it'd be a little better for you if you lived life in the Spirit. Is that what he's saying to us? No. What is God doing? He's just commanding. How many of you know that God just commands a lot of things? You know why? God doesn't give suggestions. Because he knows truth. He knows what is right or wrong. It's not like it's uh, maybe this will work for you. No, this is reality. This is true. And God gives a command. And it's in the imperative form, meaning it's a command. It's not a suggestion. 
You notice in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture are we commanded to be indwelt with the Spirit of God. Nowhere in Scripture are we commanded to be uh, sealed with the Spirit of God. Nowhere in Scripture are we even commanded to be baptized with the Spirit of God. Do you know why? Because all of those things are a work of what God does in us. That when I come to Him in faith, by God's grace, He's the one that seals me. He's the one that baptized me in the Spirit. He's the one who indwells me by His Spirit. But it's commanded. And can I just tell you, can I let you in on a little secret this morning? Because it's commanded, do you know what God says? It's possible. It's possible. Would God ever command us something that's impossible? Some of you are like, I'm not, I don't know how to answer that. No, no, what God commands is possible. But now you're saying, whoa, come on, come on. Talk to me this morning. You're here. You know the Christian life. You know Christianity. I mean, you know the New Testament. There's, a, there's certainly a lot of commands in the Bible, isn't there? How many of you ever looked at the list of what God is asking, commanding us to do, and you felt like, wow, that seems like an awful lot? Can I see your hand? I mean, how in the world can anybody ever measure up to that? How many, how many of us can ever live up to that? And you know, the point is what God is showing us here. You can't, but he can. And that's why it's important for his spirit to be lived out through your life. So it's the spirit of God in us. Notice this filling is commanded. But secondly, this filling is for everyone. Because in the Greek language, the word is not in a singular form, it's in a plural form, meaning that it's commanded for all of us. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, it's for all of us. It's for all of us. It's not for an elusive group. It's not that once you become a Christian a certain number of days or years, or once you've gone through enough discipleship studies, now somehow you're specially filled with the Spirit of God. No, the filling of the Spirit of God is for everyone. It is for all of us. Literally in the Greek, it's not just you be filled, but you all be filled with the Spirit. It's commanded. It is for everyone. And thirdly, this filling is passive. This is really important because it's in what in Greek is called the passive voice. Now, this is something that kind of breaks down for us because we don't really see this as well in this verse. But in, in this passage, what Paul is making the point is that we are not the ones filling ourselves. We don't fill ourselves. But there's a source of somebody in this passage who is filling us with the Spirit. Who is that? God. God is the source. We're the objects in this passage having the action completed upon it, and he is filling us. Something, Jessica, uh, something Ashley and I have a little tradition that we like to do right now is our chocolate milk routine. Any of you love some good old chocolate milk? Whew. Ashley and I even have a song. We can sing it for you later about our chocolate milk. I'll spare you this morning. But how many of you know how good it is to get out a good old glass of Chocolate milk, not the stuff you buy in the stores, but the Nesquik stuff that you make at home and you can just keep on pouring it in, you know what I'm saying? Stirring it up. I wish I had some of that to bring with you, but we're out of chocolate milk. If you were to think about a glass of milk and that glass representing a Christian, each of our lives, and Ashley and I take that big old scoop of Nesquik and we dump it in the glass, 
That's, that's what happens in conversion. That's a poor illustration of it. But, but the Spirit of God comes to dwell in our life. He's there. He's present. He's alive. He's, he's there. But the filling of the Spirit of God, we take that spoon and get all worked up, and it, it's just not there, but it's, it's permeated everything. It's permeated every ounce of that milk. And that's the picture in a very poor illustration of what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. That at conversion, the Spirit of God is in every believer. He's there. If he's not there, that, that person is not a child of God. It's that clear. They either have the Spirit of God or they don't. But just because the Spirit is in us doesn't mean he has control of us. Doesn't mean that we are we are allowing him to have free reign and control in our life. And that's the point of what Paul is saying here. God's the one who fills us. We are not filling ourselves. Something's happening to us. It's God's power at work in us. (laughs) And it just happens. The Spirit of God is powerful. The Spirit of God is dynamic. That There's something that really happens in the life of a person when they get saved. Their old nature is dead and now they have a new life, a new person living in their life. Man, that so radically changes everything because think about the New Testament words the Bible uses to describe the Spirit of God. What are some some word pictures that the Bible uses to describe the Holy Spirit? It doesn't use chocolate milk. What, What are some ones that the Bible uses? Water, and what's another one? Huh? Come on. Water, light, fire, wind. Now think about fire for just a second. Can you, can you contain fire? I mean, really, if there's things around it for it to consume, can you, can you at all contain fire? If fire is just... It's just that explosive fire. It's just that it, you know, you notice what happens. There's, but there are things that we can do to contain that, can't we? How do you contain the fire out in your backyard? What do you do? What do you do? Come on. You have a water, you have a water hose out roasting marshmallows. Is that how bad it gets, Eric? All right. No, come on. What do the rest of us do? Most of us don't roast marshmallows with a fire hose. What do we got? We have a what? A fire pit, and it just kind of contains that fire, doesn't it? Here's a question. How can the Spirit of God be contained in our life? How can His power, His influence, His control be contained in our life? Negatively. How does it happen? Sin. Yeah, spell it. S-I-N. Or spell it S-E-L-F. Either way, you and I have the ability to limit the Spirit of God at work in our life. Here's the point, and we all have to see this. The Spirit of God is something that He gives us. God gives us Himself. He dwells in us. But there are things in our life that we can do to hinder, to quench, to limit, to restrict the Spirit of God at work in our life. We're actually going to consider that next week. This week and next week are kind of a two-part message. But I want you tonight, this morning, to simply understand 
what is the Bible saying here? That when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it has, God in our life is moving and controlling and filling us completely. The New Testament in this passage, what's the negative illustration that the Bible gives for us of the filling of the Spirit of God? What's the negative illustration the Bible uses in this verse? Of what? Of what? Drunkenness. Now I hope not all of us can, you know, attest to this this morning, but maybe in a past life or something, whatever you could share about. How many of you at least have ever seen a drunk person before? Can I see your hand? I'll never forget the first time I saw a drunk person. I was in Chinatown in Atlanta. I was an 11-year-old boy and I knew about people being drunk, but I had never seen somebody so intoxicated. This guy literally bust out of a liquor store and he was doing this number. He was just moving around. He was vomiting everywhere. I mean, it was everywhere. And I just remembered as 11-year-old kids seeing that picture of this guy so intoxicated by alcohol, his whole movements, his whole talk, his whole behavior, everything was dominated and controlled by the substance he had soaked himself in earlier that day. Now, what is the Bible saying? The Bible is saying, don't be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, what's the point the Bible's making? The Bible is showing us this comparison that just as much as drunkenness results in this lack of control because of this substance. Notice, in, 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 in comparison with that, a person who is, under, who is being filled with the Spirit of God is brought under the control of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, hey, look, he uses this illustration of drunkenness to say, hey, look, don't give your life to some substance that inevitably you're going to become a fool in the debauchery. But Paul says, allow the Holy Spirit of God to so fill your life, be under the control of the Spirit of God, that you live a life abundant and everlasting. That's the whole point of the Christian life, is that you and I can experience the fullness of life, because God, who is life, is dwelling in me. And how amazing a reality to think about that, that, that in the church today, sadly, why do we see so many people discouraged and depressed and, and struggling in life? I believe more than anything else, it's because they've limited the Spirit of God at work in their life. They've limited the power of the Spirit of God. So finally this morning, who is filled with the Spirit of God? Who is filled? Someone tell me. Have you learned anything this morning? Everyone. Every man, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit of God? Well, it, it means that it's commanded. It means it's for everyone. It means it's something that is not permanent. Notice that's the illustration of drunkenness because, because, because it's not that it just happens one time and, and you're filled with the Spirit of God forever. A way to think about it is that there's one baptism of the Spirit, but there are many fillings. There's one moment of conversion where the Spirit of God dwells, enters our life, but there are many moments in our life, day by day, where we experience his filling. A fresh and a meaningful understanding of his life in our life. So how does it happen? Maybe this morning you're here and you're saying, well, Pastor Aaron, that sounds great. I'd love to experience 
the joy of God's Spirit, the peace of God in my life. But how does it happen? The first thing, let me give you just three simple things as I close. The first is we need to recognize our need. Oh, how the church in America needs to recognize our need. Can I just say, not out there, what about in here? How much do you need to recognize your need for how little of your life the Spirit of God controls? For how little of your life His power is influencing your choices, your decisions? Because I'm telling you this, you turn your Bible open to the book of Acts, and just watch how many times in the book of Acts, I mean, when I read the book of Acts, man, I get fired up. Anybody else like that? You read the book of Acts, you see what's happening on the day of Pentecost and afterwards, and as you think about the early church in the book of Acts, what would be one word you would use to describe the early church in the book of Acts? Someone tell me. Filled? What's another word? What would describe the church in the book of Acts? Powerful? What else? Alive? What else? Growing? What else? Excited, would you say? Committed? I mean, they were unstoppable, right? They were unstoppable. And yet you look at the church today. You look at your life. How little it takes to stop your life from living the victorious life that Christ would have for us. Why is that? I believe it's because although the Spirit of God may be in us, He does not have all of us. Because then secondly, there might be things in our life, and I believe there are, that are limiting the Spirit of God at work. What is it? Sin. It's sin. It's pride. It's arrogance. It's a lack of humility. It's jealousness. Covetousness. Lust. And it limits the Spirit of God at work in our life. The reason we don't hear a lot about the Spirit of God today is because I think there's very little shared in the church about repentance. Why would we talk anything about the Spirit of God if if we don't want the power of the Spirit of God in our life? I mean, it's either one of two things. You look at the book of Acts and what was happening in the church, and then you look at today and you're saying, okay, it's either one of two things. Either we do not have the Spirit of God or His power is limited. And I don't know for other people in this room, but what about your life this morning? Have you experienced the Spirit of God in your life? You might have said you had, you talk like you had, but if you've never had a moment, my friend, of true conversion, where God Himself has forgiven your sins and entered into your life and you've been born of the Spirit, you just never have really experienced it. But I wonder this morning, what in your life is limiting the Spirit of God? The Bible says, quench not the Spirit of God. And you know what? You can quench a fire, just like Eric was sharing with us a little bit ago. You can smother that fire with water and put it out like that. You know, I think somehow, maybe in the lives of people here this morning, that's happened in your life. 
There was a day in your life where you can remember your life was more alive, had more peace, more joy. The fruit of the Spirit was experienced in your life. But today, God's power is nowhere to be found in your life. And that's because, my friend, you've limited the Spirit of God. You know what we need to do? We need to confess our sins. We need to repent. We need to recognize how much of our life we've been trying to live with our own effort. And it's so simple, but yet it's so hard to do, isn't it? Because we recognize our need, we confess our sins, and then finally, what do you need to do? You need to yield to the Spirit of God. You need to allow the Spirit of God to have free reign, free control in your life, in your decisions, in your ambitions, in your desires, that you're not going to contend with God anymore. You're not going to quench His Spirit. But you're going to yield yourself to the Lord. And you're going to say, God, I want what you want. I want my life to be a vessel that is filled with your Spirit. Your spirit is already in me, but I want it to permeate every part of my life. Maybe this morning you need to simply yield to the spirit of God. You do this with me this morning before we close. Take your hands right here. Hold them out right in front of you. I want you to make a tight fist. Like you're just going to go clock somebody, okay? Hold it. Hold it tight. Get white knuckles. You see what I'm saying? And I want you just to do this. Did you feel that? just like that release of, Lord, I'm, I'm letting it go. I'm confessing these things to you and I'm, I'm surrendering myself. And it's like, you know, in the Old Testament, many prayers in the Old Testament, they prayed with raised hands. You know why they did that? Because it's like, Lord, I'm confessing all of my sins before you, but with hands raised, Lord, I want what you want. And how many of us this morning, that's what we really want. Like how many of us, that's what we really want. See, that's the crux of everything. Because for some of us, if we're honest this morning, we don't really want that. We want our own way. We want our own success. We want our own kingdom. But if you want to experience the power of God at your life, at work in your life, it's going to come by the Spirit of God dwelling in your life and filling your life. And every day of your life, you're walking in obedience with the Spirit of God. So where are you at this morning? What in your life today needs to be confessed and given to the Lord so that the power of God can afresh and anew fill your life? Would you pray with me this morning? I'm going to invite Jessica to come. She's going to begin to play and we're not going to sing, but I want you just, if, if you're willing this morning, would you just take out your hands and hold them open as we pray? Just as a symbol of, if you're willing, Lord, I... I'm confessing things to you this morning, and Father, I am surrendering myself afresh and new. You don't have to do that, but I invite you to do that. I invite you to seek the Lord in a fresh way this morning. And in just a second, I'm going to pray, but then I want just to give some moments of peace and quiet as, as you meet with the Lord this morning. You know, it doesn't have to be a really big thing. I know in my life, I've found sometimes it's just a little thing but it still is displeasing to God. And it's withholding, it's limiting the power of God at work in our life. 
Maybe this morning you're saying, Pastor Aaron, I desire that. I actually, I can remember it. I can remember the joy of being filled with the Spirit of God. And I just, today, myself is in the way. My friend, why don't you confess your sins, find God to be faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And why don't you believe his spirit to to quicken your dead heart today? He can do that. He wants to do that. I mean, that's his desire. But it has to be your desire. I'm going to give you moments to pray as Jessica plays. Father, we thank you this morning that that you forgive us of our sins, our iniquities, our trespasses. Lord, you remove them as far as the east is from the west. You invite us and welcome us, Lord, to experience the forgiveness of sins, your peace, the power of being cleansed. So Lord, I thank you this morning that some are, are, are turning loose some shackles that were restraining the power of God at work in their life. Lord, this week, may we experience you afresh and anew. May we, every day of our life, want to be being kept continually filled with your spirit, with your presence, because, Lord, in the awareness of that, in the presence of that, it changes everything. Lord, there's a lot of needs in our church family, but, Lord, we know that we can only meet so many. We are, our efforts only go so far, but, but, Lord, your power is not limited. And Lord, I'm praying for those this morning that feel so weighed down by guilt and shame. They're in a depth of despair. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would bring new life and quicken them. Give them a new, fresh wave of just your power and your spirit at work in their life. And Lord, we just want to celebrate what you're doing and how you're going to work and Lord, by faith this morning, even as we think about these things, we look forward to the day when we're going to be with you. And Lord, what has been promised and the guarantee of that, Lord, will be completed. And so we thank you and praise you and ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen.